a fond farewell to Hugh Hefner. He died at 91. But before he left the earth, he made the world safe for naked ladies and unmarried sex, and naked ladies having unmarried sex. The world he leaves behind is awash in porn and illegitimacy. But do we really want to reverse the sexual re revolution? And could we, even if we did want to? Plus, tax reform is on the table, and the GOP tries to get its head around Roy Moore. And the lovely and talented and also lovely Candace Owens is with us to discuss her video blog, Red Pill Black. But first. It's time for some really stupid news. This is news with up to 27% more stupidy goodness than the stupid news that's just the news. Let's begin with word from Saudi Arabia that women in that country are finally going to be allowed to drive. The liberalizing move comes hot on the heels of the nation's abolition of slavery in 1962. The royal decree placing women behind the wheel was issued in spite of one, of one Muslim cleric's pronouncement that the ban on women drivers should remain intact because, and I'm not making this up, he really said it, women's brains shrink to a quarter the size whenever they go shopping. But the science deniers in the Saudi court wouldn't listen to the man, and they gave women the car keys anyway. So now a bunch of quarter-brain girls peering out through the narrow slits in their burkas will be careening around the roads like pachinko balls. But in light of the obvious dangers, the Saudis have decreed the women will only be allowed to drive in Jewish neighborhoods. Then there's a story torn from the pages of social media, which has no pages because it's social media. Twitter announced that it will now double the number of characters that will be allowed in each tweet from 140 to 280. Twitter apparently felt that too many people were being forced to edit and organize their thoughts and develop a concise sense of humor, and that what social media really needed was more random bloviating and rambling hate speech. One big advantage to the change, of course, is that we'll finally get to hear from Donald Trump in depth. For instance, now that Trump can use more characters, we'll find out what he meant when he sent out a tweet that ended, as for North Korea, I have decided that I am declaring war. Plus, we'll get to hear the end of the sentence that Hillary Clinton is really a little who knows where he was going with that? Finally, the New York Times, a former newspaper, has been working hard lately to make it seem like 20th century communism was really great. The ideology was responsible for at least 100 million murders, which is even more people than Donald Trump killed when he criticized the NFL. Nonetheless, the Times, which can't find anything good to say about Trump, keeps finding wonderful stuff to say about communism. They recently ran a story called Why Women Had Better Sex Under Socialism, and another called When Communism Inspired Americans. And this week, they unleashed the headline, For All Its Flaws, The Communist Revolution Taught Chinese Women to Dream Big. Its flaws, of course, included mass murder, forced starvations, and torture and imprisonment for dissent. The big dreams of women were to get the hell out of there and come to America so they could wrap fish in the New York Times. That's the stupid news. And if the news isn't stupid enough for you, just wait. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. Hugh Hefner, he's gone. The man is gone. I know. Women will never be naked ever again. This is so, so sad. All right. And we do have Candace Owens 
coming on. We're going to have to, this is, we're, all we've done is been working on how we're going to get her on this set, basically. I think we're going to, we'll play like a long clip and then the ceiling will open. We're going to lower her down. I think she'll yeah. have like fans and everything and yeah. be a bunch of like gay guys with, yeah, <laughs> you know, there'll be gay guys with sparkling top hats and then we'll do the whole thing. So remember back when the NFL was good, you know, and you would have, you know, uh, Peyton Manning would shout Omaha, Omaha, Omaha. That's what I sound like when we're barbecuing because Omaha steaks are so good. They are absolutely fantastic. I don't know what they do. with uh, They just like, you know, make their cows so happy that the steak actually does taste different. And now you can give a huge gift of Omaha meat Give it to yourself. I mean, come on. This is a huge gift. It's gourmet Omaha steaks and meats, plus a Weber kettle grill and accessories. Get the ultimate Omaha steaks grilling experience, everything for the grill master in one complete package. It's just a lousy 500 bucks. But listen to what you get. I mean, it's just amazing. You get six six-ounce filet mignons, four 10-ounce New York strips, four 10-ounce ribeyes, and two 18-ounce T-bone steaks, eight gourmet brats, eight signature burgers, six pork chops, three pounds chicken breasts, and a partridge in a pear tree. You don't actually get a partridge or a pear tree, but Omaha steak, gourmet steak rubs, you get charcoal chimney starter, digital meat thermometer, complete grilling tool set, and a 22-inch Weber original kettle grill. It's all 100% guaranteed, and it ships absolutely free. Here's what you gotta do. Oh, by the way, they also have the smoking experience and sous vide. I had to look up what sous vide experience is. It's a way of cooking with water so the steak comes out exactly right. And just for my listeners, this new package delivers for only $499. Pardon me. Go to omahasteaks.com, type in Andrew in the search bar, and choose your ultimate ultimate Omaha Steaks experience. Again, visit omahasteaks.com and enter code Andrew. By the way, the reason they do this, just so you know, is so they know we sent you, and it helps the show. It helps us when you do it, and also gives you this great deal. You type it in the search bar and you get this one-of-a-kind experience. Lots of Omaha meat for just 500 bucks. So we got to talk a, a little bit before we bring Candace on. We have to talk about Hugh Hefner. I mean, if, if you're my age, Hugh Hefner was a big, big deal. I mean, the first time you ever saw a naked lady was in the pages of Playboy. And he came in and he basically, he started a magazine that was an attack on puritanical values. If you ever saw the picture, um, the, the TV show Mad Men, that was the image of men that he put forward. He put for, he, was, he himself was, was in this marriage. He, he married the first girl uh, he ever slept with. And he said when she revealed to him that, he had, that she had had a previous affair, he was devastated. He said that was the most devastating thing that ever happened uh, in his life. I have a clip. He, you know, the thing is, he, he presented as an intellectual, and he always went on and he defended his point of view, which was the Puritan, American Puritan ethic had to go. And so I have a, brought a clip of him on William F. Buckley's firing line, F and Hef, we call it. Uh, and, and Buckley just looks at him, if, you, if you're not watching, because, for instance, you don't subscribe or something, you know, and you're, you're just listening, but if you're not watching, Buckley looks at him like he just wants to scrape him off his shoe. Uh, and here's just a quick exchange between the two of them. You reject uh, the notion of sexual continence before marriage uh, uh, yourself. That is to say, you as a, a philosopher of the new ideal of sexual liberation. Well, I think what it really comes down to is an attempt to establish a, uh, 
you know, what's been called a new morality, and I really think that's what the American, you know, this, this, this thing called the American sexual revolution is really all about. Uh, it's an attempt to replace uh, the old legalism. It's certainly not uh, a rejection of, <coughs> uh, of monogamy as such, but very much an attempt, uh, in the case of premarital sex, uh, there really hasn't been any moral code in the past except simply a thou shalt not. And, well, that's uh, a code, isn't it? Well, perhaps. I don't think it's a very uh, realistic one. <laughs> it's really hard for people who weren't there to understand living in the modern world how different it was, how incredibly different it was. I mean, just, just speaking personally, when I, you know, because I, I grew up in the 60s, I grew up in this tremendous period of upheaval. When, when I was 13 years old, everybody I knew just assumed you would be a virgin when you were married. When I was 15 years old, we were all sleeping with each other. I mean, that's, that is just literally what happened. In the course of two years, not only did the world change, but it, it, people's minds changed. You know, the, I mean, these were, it used to be that you slept with the bad girls and then you married the good girls. And that, they would actually teach you that. They would have classes where they would teach you, it, don't be a bad girl because you won't get married because the guy will use you and then he'll d dump you. They showed these movies to us in class. The, the guy will dump you and then he'll go and marry a virgin, you know, so you will get, you know, basically screwed, not to make a, a pun. But but the thing is, it changed so quickly. And it didn't change because of Hugh Hefner. It changed mostly because of birth control. It changed, I mean, these things were coming along anyway, but, the, but birth control and the pill and all, all this just freed people to do things. There was no punishment. You were basically now making a spiritual argument. Spiritual arguments are always very weak. What's the result? You know, we look around and you say like, you know, Hugh Hefner won. I mean, a while back, in fact, it was almost the first day we started the show about two years ago, Playboy announced that they were no longer going to have nude pictures. Uh, and they, they said, because you can just find everything everywhere. We won. They said, we won. And so they had this feeling that they had really changed the world. And I think they were part of this change. You know, it was this idea, you know, the Hugh Hefner mansion. You came to the Hugh Hefner mansion. There were always beautiful girls dancing attendance on men. I mean, it was not the feminists hated Hugh Hefner. And, you know, they hated the pornography thing and all this stuff. But it utterly, utterly changed the world. You know, I was, I was in a a cab. I was promoting a, a novel in San Francisco, and it happened to be Gay Pride Day. And I was in a cab, and the cab driver was annoyed because of the traffic for Gay Pride Day, because in San Francisco, the whole city <laughs> just shuts down. You know, I was a, the visiting straight guy. And he started to, you know, kind of get, try to get the feeling of where I stood on things. And he realized it was a conservative, so he could say anything he wanted, because, you know, conservatives let you express your opinion even when they differ with you. And he said, I think it's a shame that people define themselves and identify themselves in terms of their sexuality. And I said, yes, so do I, but I want you to know that when I was a kid, a cop could walk into a bar, a gay bar, wait until somebody propositioned him, and then arrest him. And the cabbie said, for what? <laughs> so the world, he didn't like the gay people, he didn't like the gay pride, he didn't like the gay traffic, but it never occurred to him that anybody should be arrested for being gay. I mean, it was just the world has changed that much. The, the sodomy laws in America were not overturned. In 1986, they were upheld by the Supreme Court. And the sodomy laws, by the way, didn't just uh, outlaw what you thought, what you might think of as sodomy. They outlawed uh, oral sex, too. And they were not overturned until 2003, okay? <laughs> this is 2003. And the thing that always bothered me about those laws a, I think a government that can tell you how to have sex is too strong a government. But B, they were never, of course, enforced on a married couple 
doing, you know, things that married couples do that would be defined by the sodomy laws. They were only used to persecute gay people. And so, you know, there's, there's much about this world, obviously, that is better than that world. Women, when they were stuck in marriages, were stuck in marriages, you know? I mean, when, and I say women, men were stuck in marriages too, but they had a lot more latitude. But women, it was just harder for them to get out. A lot that has changed is positive. But you got to look at the world and you see we are awash in pornography. There are guys who don't have sex with real women anymore because they're so addicted to pornography. The illegitimacy rate, which is just a backbreaking indicator of generational poverty, is so bad that it's not... It, the black community used to be 25% illegitimacy rate. Now it's over 75%. It's worse than it was during slavery days when you had guys selling fathers down the river. So you had single mothers left behind. You know, this is just voluntary people whose lives have just been destroyed by a moral catastrophe. You know, and it's true in, in poor white areas as well that people no longer have fathers. And we know this is an indicator of crime, of drug addiction, of of poverty going from one generation to the next, rich people don't do it. Rich people get married before they have kids, almost exclusively. Rich women get married before they have kids. And of course, decadence is always good for the rich. Decadence is fun for the rich. You know, they can take care of the illegitimate children. They can take care of the diseases, all this stuff, which is another thing. The disease in the uh, in the wake of the sexual revolution is out of control. I mean, this is a couple of years ago, but th th there were more reported cases of sexually transmitted disease, and I think it was 2014, than ever before in the United States. And the annual report showed that the rates of chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis the three most commonly reported STTs in the STDs in the nation increased between 2014 and 2015, reaching an all-time high. Now, all of those are curable with antibiotics, but you never know you have them. You know, you don't know you have them until it's really too late and you've passed it on to your child, and it's, it damages chlamydia, which is minor for men, damages women's uh, ability to have uh, children and all this stuff. There's just no question that there's a catastrophe. There's, our sexual lives are a, a catastrophe. I get hit all the time on the show. I get letters every week, at least, about my apparently liberal attitudes towards sexuality because I don't condemn other people and I don't think the government should have the right to tell you what to do in your bedroom. But I don't live a liberal life. I live a very conservative life. I've been married for 112 years. I'm devoted to my wife. I mean, if you ever read my memoir, uh, The Great Good Thing, it's a love letter to my wife who has defined and saved and created and made my life. And I recommend this way of life to anybody. But the thing is, I, I always want to err on the side of freedom. I always want to err on the side of freedom. I can't just say this is a bad thing, that people can't be arrested anymore, that the cops can't kick down your door if you're gay, that they can't walk into your bars. I can't just say that's a bad thing. The government should have no business uh, regulating your sex life. But, but, just because you're free, just because you have the right, doesn't mean it is right. And that, that is the thing we have to learn. We've got to start to learn to preach uh, chastity. And, you know, I've talked about the difference between chastity and abstinence and all this stuff. The chastity is basically making your body follow your soul, making your body, when you make love, you should be in love. Making love should be part of love. We've got to preach the joy of that because preaching the moral condemnation of it just isn't going to work anymore. That world is gone. And by the way, can you do it? Of course you can. You know, the 20s, the 1920s in America were a sexually free, sexually liberated uh world, you know, it, it was just, uh, everybody was always condemning the free sex and the flappers and all this stuff. By the 1950s, you had 
the peak of American society was a very restrained, very restricted world sexually. Same thing happened in the 19th century. In the early, uh, in the late 18th and early 19th century, you had people preaching free love. I mean, the, the famous poet Percy Shelley was a big advocate of free love. And of course, he destroyed every woman he came near because he dumped her when he got tired of her. That was free love. And they had children. One of his wives, uh, you know, one of his girlfriends killed herself. By 1850, you were in the Victorian era, again, a sexually restricted time and one of the high points in human civilization. Those things do seem to come together. So it's not, uh, it's not impossible to hope that we can turn this around if we talk about it, if we talk honestly about it, and if we talk about chastity with joy rather than talking about uh, promiscuity with condemnation. I actually think it can be turned around. I think Hugh Hefner... You know, he was a man of his time. I'm not going to sit here and condemn him. I always felt he was sleazy, but always remember this. Always remember this. The Playboy Mansion was a mansion. It was because that stuff, that decadent stuff works for rich people. It was always a mansion. It wasn't good for the women. It was only good for the rich men. And that, that actually remains exactly true today. We've got Candace Owens coming on in just a minute. But first, I have to talk about Tracker. Tracker is like, it's got to be one of my favorite sponsors because I am the most absent-minded person on earth. You know, I, I keep saying this, and people people think I'm kidding around, but everybody who knows, everybody who knows me knows I put my glasses down, they're gone. I put my phone down, no clue. I even have this thing where I do, I put my phone down, and I think I'll put it in a really weird place, so that way I'll remember it, because it'll be so weird. And then I'll think, where the hell did I put my phone with Tracker? Not only this Tracker, what it does, you get a Tracker app, Right. You press the uh, button and it'll tell you anything you put the tracker on. I have it on my keys, which I also lose all the time. They constantly fall out of my pocket when I'm hiking. And you put it on there. It's really small. It's the size of like a quarter, even smaller than a quarter. You press the app on your phone. It starts to make a noise. Your phone, it's kind of like Waze. You know, there are lots of people on there. So it tells you you're getting closer, you're getting further away. You can find your keys. If you lose your phone, which is the first question I ask, you press the tracker thing on your keys and it makes your phone light up and play a noise. Uh, it's great stuff. If you go to tracker.com, here, thetracker.com, here, is, I'm going to spell it for you, T-H-E-T-R-A-C-K-R. I, somewhere there's a website that has all the vowels in it. I mean, they're always leaving it. It's T-H-E-T-R-A-C-K-R.com and enter promo code Claven. <laughs> But you're just asking Candace. for other people. Candace needs to know how to. All right, all right. Put the vowels in Claven. It's K L A V A N, and you will get 20% off any order. That's thetracker.com, promo code Claven, for 20% off. Thetracker.com, promo code Claven. These things work great. They really do. And if you're anything like me, you'll be using it constantly. I know I do. Candace Owens. I saw her, I don't know how long ago I saw her. It was not that long ago because you haven't been doing it that long. And you had there were like 167 hits on this video. And I thought, wow, this girl has got it all. She's beautiful. She's smart. She's ladylike. And she's telling the truth. She has a web, uh, what do you call it? A vlog, I guess, called Red Pill Black. Makes sense, right? Take the red pill. It's part of this movement where leftists take the red pill and suddenly wake up to reality, which is conservative. <laughs> that, that's the thing. I'm going to play a long clip of Candace's reaction to Charlottesville, which is the first one I ever saw, and that will give her time to be lowered from the ceiling with the gay guys with the sparkling top hats. You are a black person, and you express some irrational fears this week over the rise of the Klansmen and neo-Nazis. 
let me invite you over for a cup of hot steaming facts. Fact number one, approximately 93% of black homicide victims are killed by other black people. In 2014, 6,095 black people were killed and virtually all of them were killed by other black people. Black Lives Matter protesters may want to consider extending their slogan to don't shoot because we've already got it covered. And you're not special, white people. Seriously, in 2012, 84% of white homicides were committed by other white people. Go figure. It's like we're all racist towards our own selves. Nobody wants us dead more than we want ourselves dead. I mean, there are, what, 6,000 Klansmen left in our nation? You want me to actually process that as a legitimate fear every day when I wake up? It's Donald Trump's fault that they're feeling energized. It's Obama's fault that Black Lives Matter is violent. Both of you children, to your room. It's obviously the media's fault. I mean, the media is creating this entire narrative, and it is crazy, absolutely crazy to me that people have not figured this out yet. I mean, why think we didn't hear a single thing about David Duke, white supremacy, and the KKK the entire time Obama was in office? Do you think that they were all hiding underground, waiting for the next white president, meeting by the light of the moon? Do you really actually believe that they weren't still meeting, holding protests, having rallies and marches? Maybe the media wasn't covering it. So I got to say, Kenneth, welcome to the show. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I saw that. You know, I, I did some of the early right-wing videos at PJTV, and I saw that, and I thought, wow, there's the next gang. This is great. And before I got you on the show, everybody discovered you, so I feel really <laughs> bad that I'm, like, the last guy to have you on. It's all right. I, tell me who you are. How did you get to this? You seem like such a nice person. What are yeah. you doing in a place like this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, everyone asks me what my background is and what yeah. sort of inspired me to get into this. I really am just a girl that makes videos, and the climate was just the right time. Um, got super fed up with sort of the increasingly wild liberal antics and the identity politics. And if you're black, you have to think this way. If you're white, you have to think this way. And I just wanted to inject, I guess, a more millennial voice into it. Um, and yeah, I just started making videos. Did you start out as a liberal? I did. I definitely, I think everybody starts out as a liberal. There's that expression, right. if you're not a liberal right. when you're young, you don't have a heart. But I don't think I ever was a liberal, which I think might be true of a lot of people. They just aren't aware. If you're not actively involved in politics, you're not thinking about this stuff you know, every single day, you sort of assume that liberal means freedom and why wouldn't someone want to be a liberal? The word sounds better than conservative, sure. right? Like, yeah. you know, yeah, so, I know. right? I'm a liberal. <laughs> right. um, but I've always been sort of a person uh, that wants to be able to think freely. And um, unfortunately, you can't really do that when you're a liberal. You have to sort of become the person according to your gender or according to the color of your skin. So you're actually in a mental prison. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you are the target of the, you're the, the person the Democrats look at and they oh, she's ours, she belongs to us. You know? <laughs> was, was there a road to Damascus moment that something happened? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I always put on all of my social media pages that I was force fed the red pill and that's, that's very true. Um, I had, I don't know that many of your listeners are familiar with the Gamergate scandal. Most, I think they are, because yeah. I kind of covered it a little bit myself. Yeah, I certainly gamer, wasn't. So. I'm yeah. not a gamer. I'm, the yeah. extent of my gaming is Mario Kart. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty I'm, much I'm it. I'm sorry, get out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I had created a startup, a company, an anti-bullying startup that was really close to my heart uh, due to some things I went through in college. Anti-bullying? Yeah, which okay. is interesting, right? You would think that the leftists would eat this up, right? right? Anti-bullying, sure. it's, it's their brand. And I put like a 
three-minute video on Kickstarter just trying to raise some starting funds to flush out this idea. And I was contacted pretty swiftly by a woman named Zoe Quinn, who is apparently, you know, victim one of the Gamergate yes, scandal. Yes. And she calls me and she essentially threatens me and she tells me to take down my Kickstarter. And I, if people don't understand that she's got an arm in Twitter, an arm in Google. Um, at the time, she was running a, a anti-harassment chapter for Twitter. And she told me to take it down because she didn't want trolls to be exposed on the internet, which is very weird since the whole reason she's a victim is because trolls attacked her. Um, I obviously didn't comply with this phone call. You know, I said, you know, I'm sorry that happened to you, but I, I'm, this project is something that I'm really passionate about. And uh, she basically told me if I didn't pull it down, then she knew that anonymous white males were going to attack me on the internet. I didn't pull it down. I was suddenly attacked on the internet within hours, uh, flooded 4,000 maybe um, emails. Wow. Like it was like, like a really? unit. Yeah, like she's definitely connected. It was like a, a mass attack. My Kickstarter pulled my project down without telling me why. You're kidding. This is like a. This is like the mob. It's yeah. like the protection racket. Nice yeah. story you have here. I hate to see anything happen. To yeah, you. it was. It was yeah. terrifying to go through. I mean, especially because I'm not. I was a nobody at the time. Nobody knows my name, and uh, I was just attacked. You know, every. I don't know. Nigger die. We're gonna dox your family. Everything that was. Really. Um, they put up a map of my family on 4chan down to like my 80 year old grandfather who can't see and lives in North Carolina. Now this is the woman who's complaining that the gamers were harassing her. Right? Correct. She harassed me, and so I tweeted and said, like, you know, pretty clear. I'm not an idiot that this girl is trying to make me think gamers are attacking me. Right. It's pretty obvious that you know she sent this. Like, you know, she's harassing herself. I totally think that this woman is on a victim. And the second that I put that out on Twitter, I was contacted by the left media, the Washington Post. And imagine, I'm a girl who's nobody. Yeah, Why yeah. is the Washington Post calling a girl that has a three-minute Kickstarter up right. about anti-bullying? Um, I had New York Magazine calling me, The Guardian calling me, and at the time, I thought, oh, great, I can get the story out. They're going to want this. They're journalists. This is The Washington Post. <laughs> you innocent child. I know. <laughs> I know. I was not very smart. Um, and they ended up trying to run hit pieces on me, basically trying to say that I fell into a conspiracy theory, you know, and that, you know, Zoe was a victim who was, you know, trying to help me. Everything I spoke about on the phone with them, like, they already had written the article and just wanted to back it up with, like, we spoke to her. I didn't know the story of all this. It's an amazing story. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. And the Washington Post, I actually caught them trying to smear me. And for fortunately, somebody gave me a heads up because um, they were calling around trying to basically cut us off by the feet in terms of, like, funding. And, um, yeah, so they actually ended up pulling the article before they could run the smear piece because I threatened to sue them. Um, wow. And, yeah, I caught them. Like, very, I recorded the phone conversation, yeah. had an email, and was able to black and white be like, you guys are about to run a hit piece. So they didn't end up running it, fortunately. But, you know, by then the damage is done. You Google my name and, you know, they it's associated with, oh, if this company gets funded, it's going to help pedophiles. You know, leftist trick. Use words like pedophile, racism, white nationalism when you try to take someone down before a private citizen when you're not someone like Milo who can bounce back from something. Right, because, well, he had Breitbart behind Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, it's very serious and it's very scary. So. So, and all you were trying to do was stop bullying, like bullying <laughs> in school. Bullying yeah, I was interested in how technology affects children. I see. Primarily, okay. so I just think it's bullying. a different. Right. It's a different generation. Sure. It's incredibly hard being a kid in the era of social media. Okay, so now this this starts in you, and you, so you become the victim of bullying. Yeah, by the left. <laughs> and by the left. 
And is this when you start to say maybe something's wrong with the left? I instantly knew. You know, I, I was able to think through everything very quickly, and I realized that you know these aren't journalists; these are hitmen. You know what I mean? These are yeah. um, media hitmen, and they can take down business, build people up, build them down. And you know, so I, I understood that very quickly, and it was it was terrifying. I always say it's like, you know, if you've seen the movie Three Hundred, when they kick the person, that's I was kicked down. <laughs> you know, the well, yeah, huh? yeah, yeah, <laughs> down the rabbit hole in like the most aggressive way possible. I mean, I always say the way that the left defends itself is not by defending their ideas, but just simply saying that we on the right are evil. Right. So have you, would you consider yourself a conservative now? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, the only people that covered what happened to me and um, wrote it correctly were the white nationalist Breitbart. <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, a journalist named Alum Bakari. And, uh -huh. you know, he reached out and he covered the story extensively and accurately. So imagine going to bed and thinking Breitbart is white nationalists and Washington Post are heroes and waking up and finding the exact opposite. Um, so it was, it was a so, cool time. So <laughs> let's, let's start with Charlottesville. I mean, what you t it's a takedown of the argument that white nationalism is a threat. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously not. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean they're, they're jerks, but it's right, obviously yeah. not a big threat. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's insane. Yeah, the, the whole idea of that is just, you know, CNN still trying to process the fact that they lost the election. They told you not to vote for Trump. You did. So now they have to make good on all of their threats. If, you know, the, when he was running, if you vote for Trump, it's going to be the KKK is coming back, the surge, he's a racist, he's sexist, he's a misogynist. So now I feel they're just trying to make it stick. You know, so they're uh -huh. they're showing up wherever the KK is. They've always been in America. You know, <laughs> you know, like I said, they're showing up now and giving them airtime, and they're actually the ones that are giving them power. You know, they never had any power. No one was listening to them, and suddenly CNN is like, "You guys have to be relevant again for the next four years." So, <laughs> so do you get pushback? I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, actually, the response has been overwhelmingly very positive yeah. and what's been very interesting is that there's an international response to it I have you know fans in France and uh, fans in Brazil they're dubbing the videos in Portuguese which I mean I don't know if in Brazil there are white nationalists but clearly I've, I've hit something right people say oh she must just be followed by white nationalists well I don't think there are white nationalists in Brazil you know, but I, I mean this is this is one of the things that's, that's really frustrating I mean one of one of the reasons if I had to list like three reasons one of the reasons I became a conservative was, was because I saw what leftism was doing for poor not just black people poor people you know right. for, for poor people it's, it's really bad for right. poor people and and yet they tar us with this racist idea. Right. I mean, I know most of the big conservatives in the country. I don't know any racists. I'm, right. you know, right. not, I'm not saying they're not right. there. I'm just saying they're not in the conservative movement. They're right. not allowed in the conservative movement right. because we reject them. So it's very frustrating when we see someone like you, we all kind of think like, oh, thank you. you right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like this, yeah. this kind of relief. You also attack feminism, though. You horrible yeah, person. Yeah. I, I hate feminism. Too. It's, I mean, it's, and I want to be very clear, old and tried and true feminism, right. of course, yeah. you know, that's why I'm able to vote. It's why, you know, but that's not what it is Wait, anymore. You can't, vote? Right? how did that happen? But, you know, what it's become, people think that you can just like use the word and completely change its meaning and suddenly like, oh, you still have to back it because it's feminism. <laughs> you know, I'm like, this is not feminism yeah. anymore. Right. This is like a crazy attack on men. You know, it's breaking down families. It's stressing women out. You know, like, you know, have a baby, get right back to work tomorrow, you know, and I don't think it's good. I just find it to be toxic. And God forbid you say you're not a feminist and they care more about the word than they do about, you know, the fact that women are, you know, you think they'd support me. I'm an African-American woman. Um, I am an entrepreneur, but they don't want you unless you say that you're a feminist right. and the causes are all 
you know, BS. It's just, I, I absolutely hate feminists. I think it's so toxic. I'm so over it. <laughs> Lena Dunham, like, she's, she's unbearable, know, you know? She, and nobody watches her show. <laughs> this is what they don't tell you. They, yeah. Every article says, what a hit it is, but it's not. Yeah, nobody no. saw it. You know? Yeah. So does this, I mean, I, I had terrible problems. I lost friends. I've lost family. I've, I lost jobs over this. Has this been a, a problem for you in, in personal ways? I mean, I don't want to you know, yeah, no. Crime. So I, in terms of my family, they've been, you know, so supportive of me. Like, you know, my sisters are my best friends. My, you know, my father, they disagree with me. Right. But, you know, they support me. I, I think I have maybe one cousin who thinks I'm like a coon and I'm lost, which is fine. It's like, you know, I haven't seen him in like 10 years. <laughs> you know, uh, in terms of my friends, I, I had to shed them, you know. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't even say, once you understand liberalism. I've always had differences with them and I never understood that it was because I was a conservative thinker. I believe I value hard work. Um, I value logic. And if you value those two things, you actually, you can't have liberal friends because they constantly feel attacked, right? They're in this state of this victim state at all times. And so having basic conversations like this can turn into tears, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? You're just like, true. whoa, we're just talking about facts here. And they really deeply and truly value their feelings over facts. That's the whole, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. it right there. Yeah. yeah. No, you know, it is, and it, it, it does induce, I think it actually induces uh, psychosis. I mean, I think some of the stuff we're seeing on universities right. is psychotic, but, right. it's, but it's not psychotic like you were born that way. It's right. psychotic like you were made. Yeah, that and, and that's what's sad to see is that I think that they're not conscious that it's happening to them. So it's, it's almost like they're sleeping. It's like a, a state of hypnosis and it is definitely inducing a real psychosis. Like people joke and they say liberalism is a mental disorder, but it's not a joke. Like it really is a mental disorder. They can't see the world for what it is. They can't have a conversation outside of their feelings and, you know, and they feel attacked, literally attacked by facts. Right. You know? <laughs> I know, I know. They, know? They, they feel that it undermines their virtue. Yeah, they would say, you know, Candace, you're aggressive. You know, you're very aggressive. I'm like, are, are facts aggressive? You know, is that, you know, that's an interesting adjective to select to describe a fact, so. So where do you stand on uh, our president? I mean, this has been a dividing line for right. among conservatives. Right. We, we argue about it here all the time. Right. Uh, how do you feel about what's happening in the White House? I love Donald Trump. I, I, first off, I think he's hilarious. Yeah, There's something he is hilarious. that is just like, you know, people always say I'm refreshing. I find him to be so refreshing because he's just, he's not reading from a script, right? Like, I mean, Barack Obama was a salesman, you know? He knew how to get on the podium. He could tell you exactly what you wanted to hear. And that's problematic because you, then you don't really know what's going on. You know, you can't differentiate between, you know, what's true and what's not. And I think the thing that I like the most about Donald Trump is that he's not afraid to say the things that need to be said, you know? Yeah. I love the fact, you know, right now I'm doing a video that'll be released later today about, you know, the NFL kneeling. I love that he just says that this is wrong. It is wrong. It this is isn't wrong. a debate. It's, it's, it's absolutely not. wrong, you know? And for a president to have the balls, you know, just to get up there and say, this is BS, these people shouldn't have jobs, I, I commend him on that. I think yeah. that that makes him a really strong leader. Yeah. So, so where do you go from here? I mean, you know, I, one of the things is the media has been changing so much. I mean, I, most of my, most of what I'm, I do now didn't exist when I started. I, I, all I ever wanted to be was a novelist, you know, and I had right. a great Me career too. as a novelist, you know. It's like, it's terrific, but all this stuff didn't exist before. What do you see yourself doing next? Um, I definitely want to do a lot of public speaking. I have some public speaking events coming up, and I'm comfortable there. I was behind the scenes before I started making these videos. I was giving speeches um, across the nation about these sorts of topics, racism, feminism, why I do believe or don't believe in these kind of notions of liberalism. Um, but, yeah, I don't really know. I'm kind of just 
riding the wave, yeah, trying not to make any, you know, mistakes along the way. I'm sure I will. I'm, well, by the way, I'm totally happy to make mistakes. I want to I wanna seem, like, super attainable. And I think where I can inject my voice somewhere differently is I think with, you know, people like Ben Shapiro and Milo and Charlie Kirk, they hit these college campuses and they speak to conservatives. I'd like to speak to liberals, you know? Yeah. I'd like to speak to black people, you mm -hmm. know, and, and get in their faces and say, here's my story, I'm one of you, I'm no different. Why am I here and you're there? Yeah, I, mean, I have to say, if, the, if, if black people wake up to what Democrats have done to them, the Democrats are the worst thing. I mean, they're just, it, you know, the, the party will vanish. The it party will. will vanish. That's why they have to keep accusing us of racism. Right. Because otherwise people might yeah. listen to what we're actually saying. Right, and, yeah. it, and it really is just an education thing. People have to speak to them. You have to get on their level. And I think it does have to come from an African-American because they can't hear it if it's coming from a white person. Right, yeah, I'm sure, so. I'm sure. I think you're a rock star, Candace. You're really, you're really so terrific. Your videos are great. I think you're going to go far, and I'm really happy you came on and talked to me. Although I'm really miserable, you came on so late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I discovered you. I made you what right. you wanted. Thank you. I don't. I have no idea how we're going to get you off the set. We wanted to lift you up yeah. through the ceiling, but I think yeah. you're just going to have to walk off through the. I'm just going to walk off. <laughs> All right. Slowly walk off. Thank <laughs> you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we can end. Candace Owens is red pill black. What am I looking at? I'm looking at this camera. Yeah. That's what you're telling me. Okay. I wondered what that was. I thought it was a sniper. Uh, where is red pill black? Uh, you can find it on YouTube. We got to talk briefly about tax reform. Donald Trump came out with this. And I, you know what I want to say? It's too early to really judge where this tax reform thing is going. They put out these numbers and, you know, one side says it's going to help the rich, another side says it's going to hurt the rich, it's going to be too much. But just, I just want you to notice the difference between the way they rolled this out and the way they rolled out health care. Because this is what Trump knows about. This is what he cares about. He cares about this a lot more than health care. He basically is fine with, like, you know, government health care. But here he, here's Donald Trump making his speech, rolling out uh, tax reform. And you can just see he's much more comfortable with the whole thing. This is a once-in-a-generation opportunity, and I guess it's probably something I could say that I'm very good at. I've been waiting for this for a long time. We're going to cut taxes for the middle class, make the tax code simpler and more fair for everyday Americans, and we are going to bring back the jobs and wealth that have left our country, and most people thought left our country for good. We want tax reform that is pro-growth, pro-jobs, pro-worker, pro-family, and yes, tax reform that is pro-American. So, I mean, that's Trump, and he's much more detailed. He had a much more detailed thing of what he wants. He had a red line. He said he wants the corporate tax rate down to 20 percent, which would, is only in keeping with the—it's around, around the average of the world. I mean, we have the highest corporate tax rate in the world at, like, 35 percent. The average is something like 22 percent. So bringing it to, down to 20 percent, he had said he wanted 15, but putting the red line at 20 percent is not that radical. It's not radical at all. It would really help uh, bring— uh, and he's also making provisions to bring some of that offshore money that left because of Barack Obama to bring some of it back. And Chuck Schumer did his usual routine. When Donald Trump was talking about this plan over the last few days, he talked about focusing on the middle class and not helping the wealthy. The plan is a major disappointment because it so deviates from everything the president said. He's walking the wall. He's sorry. He's talking the talk. But this plan shows he is not walking the walk.
And so, do people ever get tired of Schumer's this Schumer coming up with these little clever phrases and everything like that? I, I don't. I don't think they do. I mean, he, he always sounds the same to me. He always sounds like this. Guard your dad. Hey, 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 mama's boy. Mama's boy. I bet you're gonna cry. Come on, mama's boy. Let's see you cry. Come on. So the only, never mind, the only thing, the only thing that I, I think gives this, some people are saying it's going to be harder to get through than health care. Some people are saying it's going to be easier to pass. The one thing you have to say is the Republicans know if they don't pass this thing, everybody's going to be Roy Moore. Uh, Paul Ryan was on uh, Hannity. And uh, listen, listen to the way he's talking about this. This is cut three. We better get it done. And the answer is Yes. This is one of the most important things we could do to help all Americans in this country. We ran on this. This is the kind of plan that Donald Trump ran on, that House Republicans ran on. And yes, we're going to get this done. This is about economic growth. It's about bigger paychecks. It's about more jobs. It's about a fairness system in our tax code. So we're really excited about this. That's why we spent all this time working with the president and, yes, working with the Senate and the House to make sure we're on the same page. So we work off this common outline, this common framework to go from here to get this done. You know, I would like to go on and talk more, but I realize we're running out of time. And the Clevelandless weekend is almost here. It's, I just crept up on us. Yeah, there it is. And it's like this could be the Clevelandless weekend that ends the NFL <laughs> if they keep it up. Also, I want you to notice that we had Candace on and we stayed on Facebook and YouTube. Which was just incredibly generous of us. It was so nice of us. Usually we cut you off around 15 minutes and cast you out into the exterior darkness where there's great weeping and gnashing of teeth. Or you can come over to thedailywire.com and watch everything there. You can listen to the whole thing there or you can subscribe for a lousy 10 bucks a month. Lousy 10 bucks a month and you can listen to, watch the whole show right there and you can be on the mailbag. We had a great mailbag yesterday, right? I answered everybody's yeah. question. Uh, and and the, my answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life on occasion for the better. If you subscribe for the year, it's only a lousy 100 bucks. Plus you get the Leftist Tears Tumblr, which as Candace was speaking, actually magically filled up with Leftist Tears. It does that, it's just that, it's just that good. Plus it keeps your coffee hot. All right, stuff I like. All right. You know, <laughs> I, I had this idea that I wanted to talk a little bit about movies for women. And so I Googled, because you know, I'm a guy, so everything I like, too much of the stuff I like is kind of like guys shooting each other. That's the stuff I like. But so I went on, you know, looked online. What are good movies that women like? And I, it was all garbage because it was all modern stuff. So Pretty Women, Pretty Women was entertaining. Pretty Woman, Pretty Woman, that was mildly entertaining. You know, it's like, but it's not like a good movie. And I, as I went down the list, I couldn't find a good movie. So I thought, like, I wonder how many women have ever seen some of the great, what used to be called women's films of the golden era of Hollywood because they're so much more adult and men can watch them because they're good. So you can actually, I mean, I, to, to me, when I watch a romantic comedy today, it is like having a nail driven into my head. I would rather, I've talked about the fact that I, when I worked for Sally Field, I had to go and watch her movie about the hairdressing place. And I spent the entire movie with my ear pressed to the wall because they were playing Glory in the next theater over. So I was listening to the war movie, you know? And I, I just feel that since feminism, movies for women are just for women. And movies for men are just for men. And it didn't used to be that way, you know? Old movies, I mean, these are movies so old, they're before my time, I mean, which was really old. And like, these are really old movies, but they're just adult and they're based on scripts and all this stuff. So I brought 
Now Voyager is actually one of my favorite films, and it is a complete soap opera. Betty Davis, the beautiful Betty Davis, plays this dowdy, ugly, old maid and with a domineering mother. And she just is on the verge of cracking up because her mother will not get off her case. And this heroic psychiatrist, uh, played by Claude Rains, comes in and basically takes her out of the house and transforms her, and she becomes the beautiful Betty Davis. And it's an amazing story. It goes on. It's got some of the most famous lines and movies in it. Here's just a little bit of the uh, scene where her niece, I think it is, comes in and is teasing her for being this dowdy old woman, even though she's actually a young woman. And Betty Davis just cracks up with Claude Rains and her mother watching. What's this? A hangover, I believe it is. And Charlotte's got the shakes. Go on, torture me. Go on, torture me. You like making fun of me, don't you? You think it's fun making fun of me, don't you? I... Nice work, infant. I didn't mean... We've always dragged down Charlotte. It was just a game. A nervous breakdown. No member of the Vale family has ever had a nervous breakdown. Well, there's one having one now. I love Claude Rains in this. He comes in and the mother says, I'm just exercising a mother's rights. And he says, a mother's rights twaddle. <laughs> that, was, that was all they could say in those days it was twaddle, but it always cracked me up. Mildred Pierce is another one. One of the, they just made this with um, oh, Kate uh, Winslet on HBO. And it was terrible. It was terrible. It is based on a novel by James M. Cain, who was one of the founding members of the hard-boiled school of crime novelists, a school that I myself belonged to. He wrote uh, Double Indemnity, and he wrote uh, The Postman Always Rings Twice, one of the greatest American novels there is. But he was a big opera fan. And so he wrote this story about a working class of what they called a grass widow. She was widowed. She had no money. And she had, her daughter was a great opera singer. Her little daughter was a great opera singer. So her daughter had these aspirations to be a star while the mother was selling pies and working as a waitress and trying to support her. And so the daughter starts to look down on her. And it is this incredibly powerful story of a daughter rejecting her mother for doing everything for her. And here's a brief scene where the daughter uh, confronts the great Joan Crawford as Mildred Pierce. Why do you think I went to all this trouble? Why do you think I want money so badly? All right, why? Are you sure you want to know? Yes. Then I'll tell you. With this money, I can get away from you. Vita. From you and your chickens and your pies and your kitchens and everything that smells of grease. I can get away from this shack with its cheap furniture and this town and its dollar days and its women that wear uniforms and its men that wear overalls. Vita, I think I'm really seeing you for the first time in my life and you're cheap and horrible. You think just because you made a little money you can get a new hairdo and some expensive clothes and turn yourself into a lady. But you can't because you'll never be anything but a common frump whose father lived over a grocery store and whose mother took in washing. That's great stuff. It's The whole show is is excellent. And finally, Bringing Up Baby. This this movie, I, I watched this with my wife. I never saw her laugh so hard. I mean, this is the... And, and she lives with me, so she's laughing constantly. Yeah. Mostly at me, but like still. But Bringing Up Baby, she finds this one of the funniest... I actually find it one of the funniest pictures ever. It, uh, Cary Grant plays this kind of mild-mannered uh, paleontologist who's trying to build a dinosaur. And Catherine Hepburn is this crackpot who starts falls in love with him and just starts following him around and it is one of the great screwball comedies here is a scene where it begins with Catherine Hepburn tearing 
uh, accidentally tearing Cary Grant's tuxedo and ends with him pulling off the back of her dress. It goes on forever. I'll just play a little clip of it. Now, please listen to me. You certainly can't think that I did that intentionally. Well, if I could think, I'd have run when I saw you. No, but if you'd only wait while I explain, I just gave you my first up. Oh, you've torn your coat. Now, now, I didn't do it on purpose. Not right. That's not right. It's not my fault. I didn't mean to do it. I just did it, but I didn't mean to do it. I just caught hold of your coat. Look, will you do something for me? A needle? No, it's simpler than that. Let's play a game. Oh? What? Yeah, well, watch. I'll put my hand over my eyes, and then you go away. Mm-hmm. I can see. I can see why my wife loves this. Catherine Hepburn is just like her in that scene. <laughs> it's just, it really is terrific stuff. I would love it if any women who actually take the time to watch these movies if you wrote to me and told me what you think. I want to know if they hold up. I want to know if they can, if they speak to another generation. I just think that these are some of the great films, and they're better. They're actually better than films like Pretty Woman, which I just find kind of vapid. The Clavenless Weekend is here. I, I don't know what to tell you. You're on your own for the next three days. We'll be back Monday, and Michael Knowles will be here. I want that son of a dead. I want him dead. I want him dead. I'm dead. What show. am I alone in this world? Did I ask no. you what you're trying to do? No, Did I ask no, you what you're trying to do? Please. I want you to get this where he breathes. I want you to find this Nancy boy. I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want his house burnt to the ground. I want to go to the middle of the night. I want to cut his ass. Just a little, uh, you know, behind the scenes of what happened last time Knowles was here, and he made he made a little mistake. I guess I lost. I probably shouldn't have lost my temper like that. But, but there it was. All right, I'm Andrew Claven. This is the Andrew Claven Show. Survivors gather here on Monday. Down here on the ground, ain't no place for living. Down here on the ground, watching sparrows fly. Watch the birds as they make their way. They're flying kind of free. And I wish it were me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Down here on the ground, wanting something better. Down here on the ground. Wanting something more. Mm-hmm. One more.